So find your place in the book of Matthew. We're here to make a difference. Has anybody in here ever read the book Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire by Jim Cimbala, pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir in Brooklyn, New York? If you've never read that book, I'd encourage you. If you do extra reading outside of the Bible, this will be a good one. I'm not suggesting you replace your Bible, but supplement your reading. It would be a rich resource for you. as many of you may know, the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir and the Brooklyn Tabernacle Church was built basically in the ghettos and gutters of Brooklyn, New York. I'm talking about druggies, dope, crackheads, whores, all the, all the dregs of society. God, one by one, started scraping them up off the street side and saving them and putting them in the choir. And you talk about a display of the glory of God's grace and what God can do with what some of us would consider the lowest of society. But did you know that in the eyes of God, if you're guilty of one, you're just as guilty of all of them, that sin is sin? And, and if you're in hell, it doesn't matter how you got there, does it? Whether it be by one or by many, we, you, you might as well swallow your pride and realize, you, but for the grace of God, there would go you. And God built a church out of what a lot of society including a lot of churches rejected didn't want nothing to do with didn't want to fool with them cost too much time and money and embarrassment I guess I don't know but you, you need to read this book and, and Pastor Jim Simbler was giving his testimony of how his ministry started and there was a, a point in his book there where he talked about how that he uh the thought that his opportunity would pass him by to see God do something great, it disturbed him deeply. And so he, he got hungry for God. And, and what I want you to do this morning is come into this sermon with the understanding that this sermon is not going to be for everybody. It's going to be for those who so want to see God move that you're scared you'll miss it if you blink an eye. That you want to be on a front row seat and you're not going to be satisfied until you know that you've soaked up every bit of God you can and you've let Him do everything He's going to do with you before you breathe your last breath or the trumpet sounds. That's what this message is for. Now, if you're not there... You'll probably get a good nap while I'm preaching. And that's okay because not every sermon, it should be for everybody, but it's really for those that want it, that are hungry for it. Amen. And so let's go into the Word of God. We're in Matthew chapter 11. I'm going to read uh, several verses. Would you remain seated uh, and, and attentive as I begin in verse number 1? Thank you, Joe. I'll let you go ahead and go back to your seat, buddy. The Bible said it came to pass when Jesus had made an end of commanding his 12 disciples. He departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. Now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou 
he that should come, or do we look for another? Now, let's just pause right there for a minute. Imagine being John the Baptist, selected by and even prophesied of in the Old Testament scriptures. And one day he, as a human, has to come to the realization, I'm the one that the scriptures themselves foretold that would be the forerunner of Christ. Pretty big deal, wouldn't you say? But what the prophecy did not foretell was the death that John the Baptist would die. He didn't see that coming. He, no doubt, probably at least had hoped, if not thought, that he would be on the front lines with Jesus and his disciples for the duration of Jesus' ministry. But here he is in prison, being bound down, while the rest of them are preaching all over the place the mighty works of God. A huge disappointment to John the Baptist personally. Otherwise, why would he be sending an inquiry back and asking, I want to be sure that I got this right. You, would you send word back to Jesus and ask him if he is the, really is the one or, or should we be looking for somebody else? Because something don't feel right about this. It was John's natural perspective with limited focus, not understanding the bigger picture. And we all get there, don't we? When disappointments slam us to the ground and we're like, wait a minute, what just happened? I wasn't told this part of the story. And honestly, when we solicit for disciples, we don't tell them the worst part of it. We say, hey, Give your life to Jesus. He'll forgive you of your sins. He'll wash in his blood. You'll be a member of the kingdom of God. And we make it sound good, and it is good, but we don't very seldom, if ever, tell him, by the way, it probably won't cost you everything. By the way, you're going to lose a lot of friends over it. Mm -hmm. Right? By the way, it's going to hurt many times a lot more than it's going to feel good. To be committed to Christ. We don't like to pitch that side of the story, do we? And, and, and I don't even blame God for not letting us in on all of the sorrow. Now, he warned us generally, but he don't always t specifically tell us what it's going to cost us. Because if he told us everything, we'd back out quick. Now, if you're more spiritual than I am, maybe you go on and just face hell and walk through everything that you... And that, but if most of us are being honest, if we knew going into it what it was going to cost us, we might have at least tried to skirt around it. Am I being real? So John the Baptist is here in prison, supposed to be in his mind, I imagine, preaching with Jesus and the disciples, and he's like, what's up with this? I, I, I introduced Jesus to the world, and this is the reward I get. They're fixing to cut off my head. Disappointments. But the story's not over yet. Let's read on. Verse 4, Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which ye hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, and the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and 
the poor have the gospel preached to them just as much a miracle as any of the rest of it because the religious people wanted one thing and that was power and money and they could care less for the poor of the earth. Can I get an amen? And blessed is he, Jesus said, whosoever shall not be offended in me. Why did he add that? He needed John the Baptist to hear these words. I need you to know that there's a blessing lined up, even for you, if you can just survive your plot without being offended. The word offended means to walk away. Coaching John the Baptist, keep your faith right up to the end. Don't lose hope. I know you're in a bad spot. I know you're going to give your life up for me. But keep the faith. Don't be offended. Don't walk away from me in your heart. Because if you won't, there'll be a blessing even for you. That's what the word, what Jesus was sending to John the Baptist. And his prospects were pretty dim right at that moment. From an earthly perspective. Blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me don't get offended at God when the cross costs you more than you ever thought you would have to pay because there's still a blessing after the cost of the cross have you ever heard of resurrection can somebody shout amen (laughs) death ain't the last thing to be said or experienced we go on the uh, verse 7 and As they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John, What went ye out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind, the power of nature. But what went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment. Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. The power of man. But what went ye out for to see a prophet? The power of God. Did you see the categorical powers he was asking about? Did you come out to see uh, the, the powers of nature, the power of man, or the power of God? And by the way, why do you come to church? Do you come to see the power of nature, the power of man, or the power of God? You'd be shocked at the people that come to church to witness the power of man. It's called denominational branding, and we're so proud of it that we're egotistical and arrogant and condescending and spiteful and full of hatred at others that don't fly the flag the way we fly under our denominational brand, and it makes God sick because we're so impressed with our power, but the power of God has left the building. What went you out to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Verily I say unto you, truly I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. What an honor to be bestowed upon a man. Notwithstanding, he that is least... In the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. How can you get more least than what John the Baptist got? 
If you want to be greater than John the Baptist, get lower than John the Baptist. The way up with God is down. How did John, what did it cost him? It cost him his head. If you want to be greater than that, then find something that's going to cost you even more. I don't even know what that could be. Maybe family. I don't know. But think about the repercussions of what Jesus is saying. If you want to be great in the kingdom, then lose it all. We want to show our greatness by what we gain and what we build and what we give. But God, is, God measures greatness by how great a sacrifice you're willing to make. You know, there are those that give out of their abundance and they could outgive any of us because they're rich with the wealth of this world. And in one tithe and offering, they could give more in a tithe than we earn all year long. And you come in here and scrape by and you make a sacrificial offering and you put your bread, uh, bread money in the offering plate trusting God to pay your grocery bill next week and you've given more than that rich person. Because God measures not by the way man measures, but God measures by the level of your sacrifice. And by the way, God increases that which is given by sacrifice. He does. God won't allow your sacrifice to go to waste. We're headed somewhere. Just hang with me a few more minutes. Verse 12, And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. I've always been puzzled by this verse. I'm going to try to break it down for you as best I can by how the Holy Spirit has given it to me. First, let's lay some groundwork. What's, what happened prior to John the Baptist that when John the Baptist stepped on the scene, it invoked violence as it relates to the kingdom of God. Okay, that's part of it, yes. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking a little more broadly. Let, let's think of it this way. Before, well, in fact, let's look what Jesus said in the next verse. I think it's verse 13. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you receive it, this is Elias, which was for to come. He said, if you can handle this, boys, John the Baptist was the one prophesied of as the forerunner of Christ. All right, now follow me. All the law and prophets prophesied until John. Up until John the Baptist came to introduce Jesus to the world, the Messiah was off limits and behind a glass with a sign that said, Do not touch. He was foreshadowed. All they had heard up to this point was Jesus is coming, a future event. And it was always in the future, but now John has shifted everything because he's no longer saying the Messiah is coming. He is saying the Messiah is here. Reach out and touch him. Grab a hold of him. Now you've got to get this picture in your spirit to understand this. 
these religious scribes and Pharisees had created several hundred more laws in addition to the Ten Commandments and the various laws related to it that God had put in His Word. Uh, and what they essentially did is they did what Jesus described as not entering into the kingdom, neither suffering them that are entering to enter in. They put so many rules and regulations uh, that no one, especially themselves, would ever enter into the kingdom of God. Not by those rules. Everything was off limits. Uh, especially the poor had not a chance. Had not a chance in the world. You're getting the context, right? Here comes John preaching Jesus. And here comes Jesus repeating what John said. Repent for the kingdom of heaven. Not is coming but is at hand. It's right here. Reach out and grab it. The kingdom is for the taking. So what happened next? I'm telling you what happened. Have you ever seen what happens to a city when the law enforcement leaves and the poor people that are kind of have a tendency to steal things, what happens? They end up looting everything because the law has been removed. This is the now this is not a perfect illustration because it's not a sin to go after God. So don't make the connection of the sin, but make the connection of uh, of the looting concept. All of the sudden what was off limits to the poor is now made readily readily available and you can get in line and take all you want in spite of what them religious people said over yonder. What do you think happened? All of a sudden thousands would come out and hear Jesus that didn't give them scribes and Pharisees the time of day because they never cared about them to start with and all of a sudden they're being ignored they're no longer being needed they're no longer Jesus uh, is basically fulfilling the law circumventing what uh, uh, what used to be the primary role of the scribes and Pharisees was the keepers of the law the keepers of the book and if anybody needed to get to God they had to go through these high priests now Jesus is removing all of that and saying whosoever will let them take of the water of life freely all of a sudden it's almost like looting everyone is coming for it because what used to prohibit them from approaching a holy God is now made available by grace and they're going for it it got violent in more than one way. I'm going to show you the three ways it got violent. You ready for it? Say amen. It got violent, number one, for God. I could imagine, and I don't say that God had this conversation, but with my imagination, I could, I could almost hear God the Father and God the Son having a conversation before the foundation of the world. And God the Father saying to God the Son, now this is going to get violent. And the God the Son is going to say, yeah, I know, but let's do it. It got violent for God to make himself available for whosoever will. It cost him everything. And it hurt. Think about the bloody cross and what Jesus went through. Yes, it got violent. It got violent for God first. It got violent for God's people. Because when you begin to associate yourself with this man, Jesus, that he said the world hated me first is going to hate you too. All of a sudden, 
those that put Jesus on the cross would just as equally put you on the cross. Because they hate you because they hate Jesus. And so the kingdom suffereth violence at the hand of our enemy. So God experienced violence. God's people experienced violence. And the enemy brought on violence. You see the three areas of violence. All right, but what is the thrust of this text? I, I feel like God's giving me something that's worth you listening to this morning. I cannot wait to share this with you. Because I used to always emphasize in that scripture, in my mind, the violence had something to do with John losing his head. Yeah, that was violent. It had something to do with what the enemy was doing to the kingdom and though that could be argued. There, there's, those are those elements of violence. But I want you to think of your pursuit of God as a violent pursuit. Because what did the violent pursuit of the poor who responded to the gospel, what did it do to the religious powers of that day? It completely obliterated them. They lost their power. They lost their influence because we was moving from law to grace and we was moving from Old Testament covenant to New Covenant and all of a sudden Jesus became the very fulfillment of the law and in one person all of that religious stuff they built and created to manipulate and to control the masses and to even build up a, a massive great form of wealth for themselves starts to deteriorate and it got violent on the kingdoms of darkness and the man-made religious systems of the world. Because your hunger for Jesus, when you're satisfied with Jesus, it offends every other religious establishment that doesn't share the same passion for Jesus. You will offend a majority of religious people when you just sell out for Jesus alone. You will make them mad and it will get violent. It, they will be, get violent towards you, but the, 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 your effect on them will also be violent. Because you're no longer asking man for permission to do what God has already commanded you to do. And it creates tension in the air. And all of a sudden there's this war that's not even supposed to be there. All you're trying to do is follow Jesus. And you got all these religious nuts following around with their list of do's and don'ts. And, and they're, trying to, they're trying to define you by their little short list. Uh, and they think their righteousness is wrapped up in their list. Uh, when it's not wrapped up in, this, uh, in a list, it's wrapped up in the Lord Jesus. And Jesus even said, if your righteousness does not exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall in no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. He said, you're going to have to do better than these, this religious bunch of quacks. I'm paraphrasing a little bit. You get the picture, right? And I was asking the Lord, Lord, help me to understand this violent pursuit of the kingdom. Oh, and he gave me a flashback to a moment in Malawi, Africa from which I got this shirt. In fact, I'm honored to wear this shirt. I was given this shirt by Abusa Billy Wood. Abusa is 
the affectionate term they use for pastors in Malawi. Uh, Abusa, Billy Wood, said, now, I'm, I'm going to give you this shirt, but you've got to promise me you'll wear it more than just when you're in Malawi. <laughs> I'm, I gave him my word. But it was precious because I stepped into just a, a little moment there in Malawi that I always dreamed that God would let me do one day, but I didn't know how. I was preaching to, I'm guessing, a couple hundred pastors and wives in a pastor's conference, trying to encourage them in their work. I've always known that God at one point, at some point in the future, if not now, maybe later, I would not just pastor a church, but I would uh, speak into the lives of other pastors and encourage them. It's just always, it's just a blueprint in my soul. I don't know how to explain it. I just know it's there. And here I found myself preaching to this group of pastors in this shirt. And one of the comments that came back to me from one of the pastors there, now here's what I want you to get. I want, I want you to get this picture. Some of these pastors sacrificed days to get there. Riding on bikes and or walking to have a one-day pastor's conference. Many of them didn't have any food till they got there. That was their meal. But you know what they would do? They would feed the guest pastors first. And then if there was anything left over, they would divide it amongst themselves. I want you to see their violent pursuit of Christ. How many uh, pastors conference could we hold in America to where you could get 200 pastors to walk or ride bicycles for days just to be there for one day? Now, I understand that it's not a fair comparison because if we were given those circumstances, we might respond differently. But I'm just trying to make a point. We're so easily put off by the slightest inconveniences in America. They could have, quite literally. All right, so we're, we're preaching in, in Malawi, Africa. Uh, we're, we're witnessing some of the most precious saints that God has on his planet. Uh, I pale in comparison to what they have to go through just to do what they're doing. And they're going to Bible college to better their ministry so they can go back and feed what they've learned. And one of the things that one of the pastors commented about what I delivered the day that I preached, and I'm very humbled by this, I was told, they said, you spoke of struggle. They didn't even know that Americans struggled. Now, admittedly, I don't struggle like they do. But I was able to speak a language they could understand. Because the kingdom has cost me. And so the Lord gave me the grace to speak in a way that connected with them. And they were encouraged to know that even in America, not everybody has it made. It's a struggle to serve God. It costs and sometimes it hurts to serve God. Amen. Okay, so, so they're violently pursuing the kingdom over there. So much so that they'll give up days. 
we was in this village, uh, and this mission team that I was with built uh, and gave away, I think it was five houses during our visit to orphans uh, or, or widows uh, who lost their homes during a flood that had not happened too long before that. Built these beautiful little cute little homes. They painted them. Uh, most of the homes were, uh, were built with, like mud huts with grass roofs. Uh, and some of them was built with bricks, but the bricks were not cured right. And so in a matter of two or three years, they just start melting, you know, under the rain and the elements. They just they wouldn't last long. So they built these things right and gifted. And there was this one village that we went to where we gifted this. Uh, it, was a, it was a young lady about, if my memory serves me correctly, she was either 12 or 14, and she had two or three younger siblings, and their mom and dad were not in the picture. So the oldest one had to take care of the younger ones, and they were homeless, so they gifted this little precious family this home and also got the local chief and law enforcement involved to ensure their protection so that others wouldn't take advantage of their vulnerabilities. While we were there, as we was piling back up in our vehicles to pull out of this little village, the little children started surrounding our vehicles. And uh, they were dancing and uh, singing. They were so happy. It was a beautiful sight to behold. But one of the people in the van that I was in made a mistake that he failed to hear the instructions never to do this. He said, when you're in a crowd of kids, don't start passing out pieces of candy unless you have enough for all of them. Or a piece of bread or whatever. Well, he mistakenly slipped out a little piece of bread through the window. And in my mind, I can see about a hundred hands violently reach and grab that piece of bread. till it was completely gone. In just a, a swift, violent pursuit of that bread. And the kids, they weren't trying to outdo each other they were just hungry and they saw something that was potentially available for them so they went for it and that's the picture the Holy Spirit gave me on what it looks like to violently pursue the bread of life you should be so in awe of the fact that the bread of life has been laid on your table that there should not be a crumb left. And yet, what do Americans do? We are rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, we say to ourselves. And we haven't even ate the first breadcrumb of the real bread of life. And the kingdom is what God wants you to know this morning. The kingdom of God is for those who want it. So now let's look at the text. The, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence. The word suffereth in the King James uh, tr uh, translation is often used in other passages, and by its use you can determine Sometimes it's meaning. For example, suffer the little children. It doesn't mean to make the children suffer, by the way. Y'all can laugh. That was a joke. 
Suffer the little children. Allow the children. Permit the children. If you dig deep into the original Greek meaning from which the word suffereth is translated, it can also imply to be subjected to. So here's the rendering. Uh, the kingdom of God subjects itself to violence. And the violent take it by force, not with permission, mind you. So here are these hungry people. Here's, the land, here's, the, here's blind Bartimaeus sitting by the wayside uh, begging. And, 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 and was it blind Bartimaeus, a son of David, have mercy on me? And they said, shut up, boy. He ain't got time for you. And the more they told him to shut up, the louder he cried. He was getting violent. He, would, he, he did not need man's permission because man made it very clear that he did not have their permission to pursue Jesus. So he didn't listen to them because he heard that Jesus would help anybody. So he went for it and completely ignored the religious establishment and said, I, I'm going for Jesus. And it got violent. It got so violent they hated Jesus and put him on the cross because they was jealous of his popularity and his power. What kind of mindset is that, by the way, that when God begins to move mightily in a church service, all people can do is find things to complain about rather than praising the Lord for meeting with us in a very powerful and special way. I've seen it. I've seen God move in here so rich and so thick. You had to see a, have a C&I dog to find your way around. And at the end of the service, people were back in the corner somewhere complaining about stuff. Blind. Leaders of the blind. And both are going to fall in the ditch. Can I get an amen? See, the kingdom is not for them, folk, because they're too blind to see it anyway, and they probably never will see it unless they get their heart right with God. But the kingdom is for the ones that were up in the altars weeping their way to Calvary and asking God to do something special in their life. And that's the ones that God's going to pour out His favor on. That's the one God's going to bless. That's the one God's going to help. And we can do that with or without the religious establishment's uh, stamp of approval or favor or anointing or anything else. God can do what God wants to do even if it gets violent on the established rule of order. Because God will not be denied. He said, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And why would God allow anybody to put a roadblock between you and Jesus? He paid too great a price to pay attention to man-made rules that put a halt to the moving of God. So God steps over it. God steps around it. God burns it up. God walks through it. God allows it to self-implode. He don't care what happens as long as Jesus is lifted up and all men are brought unto Him. You see how little God cares about our religious way of doing things when it don't line up with His book and His appetite for sinners. The title of my message is When God Gets Violent. God will take your religion and rip it up into a million little pieces and blow it to the wind 
if that's what it takes for you to see Jesus. Now, I know religion has its place. Most religions have, have its place in hell one day. There is a pure religion and undefiled, the Bible describes, to visit the fatherless and the widows. Keep himself unspotted from the world. That's talking about holy living. That's talking about living with a pure heart before God. That's pure religion. All this other mess we've made up and we need to get rid of it. Don't need it. It's just dragging things down. It's let us lay aside every weight and the sin. It don't have to even be a sin. Sometimes it could be a good thing. I must admit something this morning. Recently, I was given an opportunity to take on a part-time job at the local food pantry, and I was seriously and prayerfully considering it because it was a good thing. And it would have supplemented my income, which I could use. So I, I took it seriously for a little while. But I started looking at the bigger picture. And I asked counsel of some of most, my trusted people that God's put in my life. And I asked them to help me see things from their perspective because I might have a blind spot. And what I come to the conclusion of was not everything that is a good thing is always the right thing. Because if I devoted 30 more hours a week of my time to another entity, how much would that draw from what God's doing at Washington Heights Baptist Church? How much would that pull from what God's doing in Gary Caudle Ministries? How much would that keep me from my sons who still need me to finish the job of raising them until they move out on their own? And I determined that the cost of the extra I gain, did you see what I just did? It wouldn't balance. I, I would gain monetarily, but I'd lose everywhere else. And so what we decided to do is just continue to trust God. You know? And, and I was honored that the position was offered to me. And I was pursuing it but until God said, no, hold up now. Kill the motor, dude. <laughs> yeah. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to keep focusing on the things that God's already entrusted to us and trying to get better about those. I said all that to say this. When you're in violent pursuit of the kingdom of God, there's only one thing that should matter, and that is the word and will of God. And it don't have to make sense on paper to be obedient to the Lord. Somehow or another, It'll work itself out. It may take a while. You may go way down before you start coming back up. But give God time to work because the kingdom of God will cost you everything, but it'll also give you everything in return. He that saveth his life shall lose it. Go ahead and preserve yourself. You cannot serve God and mammon. In other words, you can't have two masters. Who are you serving, God or money? So I'm constantly reminded i got to keep my eyes on Jesus. I need money to survive, that's no doubt. But I need Jesus more, and God's going to take care of me. Whether by here or yonder or somewhere else, somehow or another, God's going to do it. He's going to do it. Amen. And he reminds me of that from time to time, sometimes with a truckload of blessings. 
I'm like, oh, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry. I feel like Peter sometimes, you know. Uh, remember when Peter was doubting God and he said, cast your net on the other side. And, you know, all right, but we tore it all night and caught nothing. But, okay, whatever. It's, it's your word. We're going to do it. Caught so many, couldn't drag them to, sea, to the seashore hardly. And then Peter's like, get away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Sometimes God will rebuke you so good with blessings that you'll have to apologize for doubting them. I'm talking about violently pursuing the kingdom of God. God's doing too much around here for me to ignore. And, and I need to stop. It's, it's a cost, but let me say something else. It's an investment. It's an investment. That's a better word, isn't it? Quit looking at your, uh, your losses as losses. Look at them as investments because in the kingdom of God, what comes around, what goes around comes around. You will reap what you sow. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. God will add it to you as you pursue His will and His purpose for your life. Now, this is a year I believe that God wants us to more violently pursue His will than ever before. Like, we're not on the threshold of a move of God. We are here. We just need to open our eyes to see it. But what we're going to do with this opportunity is yet to be told. Are we going to fumble the ball? Or are we going to violently pursue at any cost to self the perfect will of God. If, if, if your love for God was measured by your pursuit of Him, how would it measure up? People say, oh, I love Jesus. But they do absolutely nothing for His kingdom. He's, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. That'd be a good start right there. Yeah. Talking about loving Jesus and then sowing seeds of discord among the brethren. Throwing salt in people's eyes. Every time they want to do something for God, you got a wet blanket to throw on it. God, help us this morning. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Listen, we need to purge that from our system. I rebuke that spirit of divisiveness. It's no longer allowed around here in Jesus' name. We are a unified front seeking the will of God, preaching the word of God. We'll do this together in peace and in harmony. And if you don't like peace, there's the door. But we're going to do it the peaceful way because Jesus is the king over this place. Can I get an amen? I'm talking about violently pursuing God's will, God's word, God's way. So imagine that pursuit of that bread in your mind like, like I did. All them little hands rushing for it so you could get to it the quickest. And imagine Jesus presenting himself to a hungry world up to, which po up to that point which was told you can't approach him he's unapproachable and all of a sudden now Jesus is right here with us what are they going to do they're going to go after him and Jesus knew it would kill him Peter knew that it would kill him 
What do you think Jesus was asking Peter when he said, Peter, do you love me? He asked him three times. Peter knew the implications of that conversation. Peter knew it was going to cost him his life because it had already been prophesied that he would die the death of the cross. Peter had to admit, I don't just love you as a friend, but I commit to death to you. And then when Jesus said, feed my lambs, you know what Jesus was essentially telling Peter to do? Feed yourself. Feed me through yourself to the world. You know what happens to bread, right? It gets consumed. That's violent. If you make yourself available to be used of God, you know what it's going to do? It's going to deteriorate you. It's going to break you down. It's going to break you. It's going to kill self. In fact, you're going to die, but the one on the other side of resurrection morning is going to be Jesus in you, the hope of glory. And it'll be the best life you ever live because it'll be the, uh, the most uh, uh, thorough death you've ever died. Am I making any sense to you? I'm talking about pursuing God and leaving nothing on the table. And I think that the reason the church in America is uh, still asleep or in bed with other things besides, you get what I'm saying, uh, playing the harlot. The reason the church is like that is because we have left our first love. You pursue who you love. You know what you do when, when you like somebody? Well, you want to spend time with them. You want to talk to them and you want to spend money on them. Amen. If you don't like them, if you don't want to talk to them, if you don't want to hang around them, if you don't want to spend no money on them, don't tell them you love them. Right? Well, I know people say they love Jesus, but they never talk to him. They never want to spend any time with him or his people. And they certainly don't put anything in the offering plate. And they say they love Jesus. Amen. Well, there that preacher goes, preaching on that money. And there you go, missing the whole point again. It's not about the money. It's about the mission. What are we here for? We're here to pursue Jesus. And it's going to, get, it's going to cost us if we're going to do it right. Do we, do we expect God to build a mighty fortress to himself here at Washington Heights with us just half-heartedly doing things and just tipping God like we do a cheap waitress? Can I get an amen? Hello? Y'all know how you tip the waitress when you're mad at them? You don't, right? Well, I'll tip God this week because I got a good bonus at work. Well, can you tip him when you didn't get a bonus? Can you tithe, not tip? Can you give? Amen. Amen. I, I'm trying to follow the Lord on this, and I'm trying to find a place to unhitch. What time is it? Oh, that ain't bad. That ain't bad. So, so, so he wants us to violent, and, and next Sunday morning, if you'll come back, it'll be part two. Because we're going to get into the kingdom again. But we're going to get into that part, and, and I want to call this one Finders, Keepers, Losers, Weepers. Yeah. It's going to be about, uh, the Lord said 
to him that hath the same shall be given and to him that hath not even that which he seemeth to have shall be taken away and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth and that's going to be a part two of this kingdom minded philosophy but if we want to see God move we're not going to see him move playing it safe we're not going to see him move doing things as we've always done them in the past and expecting different results that's defined as insanity doing the same thing over and over expecting different results and we're not going to see God move being afraid that we're going to offend everybody if we do something different and I've said this before and I'll say this and maybe this will be a good closing note I don't know I understand the wisdom of pacing yourself as a pastor as you coach people through the process of acclimating their hearts and minds to what the Holy Spirit of God is revealing uh, to where we are and where we need to be and how we need to get there, right? Are you with me? Say amen. But some of the worst advice you can give a pastor is don't change nothing for the first five years. I don't have five years to waste for the kingdom, and neither do you. If it needs to be changed, it should have been changed 10 years ago. Why are we putting another five-year deadline on it? Change it now. Let me ask you something. If you found out a medicine in your cabinet was killing you, would you quit taking it now or let your prescription run out and then change it? No, if you've been prescribed death, you change it immediately. And if it offends people, let it get violent. But at some point, it'll settle back down and God will get glory and the church will grow because people have come out of their spiritual coma and realize it's time to wake up and get real with God. That's why I, moved, I try to move at the pace of the Holy Ghost. And a lot of times the Holy Ghost is moving a whole lot faster than any of us are ready to move. And I can't set that pace. Only God can. So if it's too fast for you, buckle up and hang on, baby. You'll survive it if you'll buckle up. But don't bail out, especially if you're going through one of them loops at the top because you fall. Right? Right? Just hang on. Don't judge anything. Don't knock it till you see, what, till you see the end story. Let's see what God's going to do. I'm excited to just see what God will do around here if we'll just make ourselves available. Amen. And violently pursue. And now here's the preview for next week's sermon. I'm going to lay the essential element that we're going to discuss. It's going to be dealing with in the kingdom are you working to gain the kingdom Remember the parable of the talents, the, the one that had five and the one that had, what was it, two? And the one that had one? Well, the one that had five and two doubled their talents. Their focus was on gaining. The, the one with the, the, the one talent thought he'd do his Lord of service and just not risk it at all. So well, I, I knew you worked hard for this money, so praise God. I put it in a mason jar in the backyard till you got back, make sure it didn't get gone. His focus was not on gaining, but on keeping. And if you focus on keeping, you'll lose even what you got. But if you'll focus on gaining, that means it requires a step of faith. And the Lord rebuked the slothful servant. He said, thou wicked and slothful. He called them wicked and slothful. He was not easy on them. 
He said, you're wicked and you're slothful. Because at the very least, you could have put it in the hands of somebody else that would have done something with it. But you didn't do a thing with it. You just buried it in the ground. He, he was worse than doing something wrong with it. He didn't do anything with it at all. And God would rather you risk it and fail than to not risk it all. And I'm telling you, Washington Heights Baptist Church, that we have a prime opportunity to seize our moment in God's timeline of His kingdom to make a difference. And we better quit trying to stay in maintenance mode and keep mode or we'll lose what we got. We better get into faith mode and watch God multiply as we step out in faith and obedience. Amen. But I'm going. I'm violently pursuing it. And it may end up hurting all your feelings before it's over with. And that's not my intention. But it's also none of my concern. Because if you're offended at truth, it is your responsibility to get unoffended. Because it is your responsibility to acknowledge your wrongdoing and repent before God Almighty and do the adjusting. Because God's already right. He has no adjusting to do. Amen. And I'm trying to teach a church how to walk with the same mindset so that you're not thrown off when somebody else gets offended. Because I know you get your phone calls. And you're going to have to learn how to shut that mess up. You're going to have to learn how to say, pardon me, but if you ain't got something good to say, I really got better things to be doing with my time. And by the way, if you have a problem with a preacher, here's his phone number, 601-504-7110. Call him and talk to him about it. If you start nipping it in the bud, they'll, they'll, they'll realize that either they're going to have to get on the program or get out of the program, but they ain't no room for comfort anymore. You know why snakes lie in comfort? Because, uh, because nobody stirred it up. But when Paul started lighting that fire up in, on, in the, on the island, you remember that? That venomous snake come out. Anytime the preaching gets red hot, it always drives off a few venomous snakes. That'll lash at you and try to kill you. Paul shook it off. They expected him to swell up and die. At first they said, God must be angry. And then, they, then when they watched that he didn't die, they, he said he must be a God. Uh, they were as uh, confused as termites in a yo-yo. They didn't have no more sense than to get in or out of the rain. And then Paul went to the chief of the village, and, and I think it was his daughter that was sick, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, healed her, healed a bunch of other people, and there was a revival broke out. All because Paul set up a fire that drove off some venomous snakes. And you ought to shout the victory when a snake-like spirit slithers out the door never to return. Don't go begging them to come back. There's a reason God sent them on. If God wants them back, He can get their heart right. They can come back uh, with the right spirit. But as long as they're uh, lashing out with their venom and ain't got nothing good to say about nobody or nothing, uh, hey, we don't need that in here. Are we okay, everybody? Everybody good? Now, I love everybody. But you know I'm telling it right. You know I'm telling it right. I can't tell you how many tears I've shed over what I'm preaching about. Brokenhearted. I don't rejoice in another man's fall. I don't rejoice in my heart of hearts when I see somebody leave 
Because I know what God could do for them if they would just surrender to the Lordship of the Holy Spirit of God. But I can not cater to every little whim and opinion that's not biblically based just to keep the peace. Uh, and, and meanwhile, the kingdom of God is brought to a screeching halt because we can't do nothing because nobody can agree on anything. You know what you call something that's got more than one head? It's called a monster. That's why there's one great shepherd. There's one under-shepherd. It's called the pastor. And then there's everything else. And, and, and churches have got to realize that when God sends His Word through His servant, it's giving vision and direction for that church. And you can't just lightly disregard it like it's just another simple business meeting voting on something that's irrelevant to the grand scheme of things. If the Holy Ghost put it on the man's heart, you better listen to it, especially when it comes out of that book, because uh, you're doing yourself a disservice to ignore the direction that God is pouring through His servant. Trying to help the church this morning. And I'm telling you, it's going to get violent. But in the most, if we do it right, it'll be done so with, with the most elegance and grace. Look, look at how violently God pursued us. It cost him everything. He's nailed to the cross. It just crushed him, that's all. But he did it for you and me. It was a very gentlemanly move. And when you passionately pursue Jesus, guess what you're going to be doing to your enemies? You're not going to be hating them. You're going to be loving them. Amen. You're going to be praying for them. Right? Who, who knew that to be violent for God would be to learn how to love your enemies? You know who that's being violent to? It's not being violent to the person. It's being violent to the devil that's got that person bound. You want to know what will completely obliterate every power of darkness in somebody's life is when you learn how to love them like Jesus. It'll get violent on the devil because he can't whoop on that level because he don't know how to love. He can't fight on a love level. He don't know what to do with it. Heap coals of fire on their head. It'll get violent. It'll get violent on the enemy and you can overcome. And you can partake of the kingdom of God and you'll see God do great and mighty things. Kingdom of God, His righteousness. Man, I'm just so full, it's hard to unplug, but we're going to have to. Let me let y'all go to the house. Y'all want to go? Stand to your feet. We're going to pray. Joe, would you play just a song? Somebody might want to come up and pray in the altar. You're invited to do that if you can. Thank you for your patience today. I know I've been a little long. My heart's so full, I just it's hard to express everything God's put in my spirit. But I'm just telling you, church, God wants to do great and mighty things. And sometimes it gets violent on more than one level but it's okay because the kingdom is for the taking but you're not going to get it being cute you're going to have to get it being committed so who would come pray and say God I want the kingdom I want all of it you got, can you spare God five more minutes to pray if you're violently pursuing you can Father, thank you for these men. There's others coming. Ladies too. Wants the Lord.
wants to see God work, wants to see God move. Lord, we're rejoicing in what you've already done, but we want to see so much more. God, we want you to bust out of the banks around here. God, we want to have to baptize people every Sunday. We want to, we want to see Sunday school spike, double, triple, quadruple in, in attendance. Lord, we want to see standing room only. We're going to have to start praying about knocking out walls and expanding. But Lord, we're going to have to make room in our hearts for you before we can make room for others in this church. God, we're going to have to get over ourselves. Lord, me first. Forgive me for being so sorry sometimes. And so selfish sometimes that I lose sight of the big picture, which is Christ and his kingdom. Lord, you taught us in the very model prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, Father, forgive us for seeking others' kingdom and others' will for our own. God, would you help us to violently pursue until all the kingdoms of darkness are defeated in our lives. And Lord, I pray for those, God, that are in the gall of bitterness. They can speak nothing but ill will right now. That the good cross of Christ would touch their lives down to the innermost parts of their soul and purge them of their brokenness and purge them of their bitterness and purge them of their anger. God, cleanse them, Father, so that they can repent and get right uh, with you in the church, oh God. Lord, we're violently pursuing. I want to see these young people grow up and serve God and get married to godly ladies or godly men if it's a, a young lady in here. And God, see them make their lives count for Christ. Until Christ comes and calls us home, help us to be found faithful pursuing you. Oh God, give us that burn that image in our hearts and minds of going after the bread of life as if it's the last piece of bread we'll have for a while. To have that kind of hunger, that kind of thirst. And you said, he that hungers and thirsts after righteousness shall be filled. So fill us up as we hunger for you. God, if we've lost our appetite, give it back. Lord, we love you and we thank you and we praise you for all that you're going to accomplish in our midst. We eagerly anticipate and expect a great move of God from henceforth. God, I just pray kindly that those who won't get right, that might be a potential roadblock, that you would kindly and mercifully, in wrath, remember mercy, just don't let them hinder what you're doing here. Unless and until and at last that they get right and bring them back around full circle, fully clothed in the righteousness of Christ and on board with what God's doing. In Jesus' name we pray. God's children say amen. Shake hands of fellowship one with another on your way out.